Hi, and welcome to the Insiders by Durham Lane, where we get perspectives from industry thought leaders about strategies that are unifying marketing and sales cycles to help accelerate growth inside your world. Welcome to the Insiders by Durham Lane, an industry podcast that connects the worlds of marketing and sales, one guest at a time. I'm your host, Richard Lane. I'm co-founder and chief commercial officer of Durham Lane. We're a revenue acceleration agency helping enterprise customers create always-on channels of meaningful and well-qualified sales opportunities. Today, I'm really thrilled to be joined by Mark Ash. Mark is the CRO of Conica Minolta Business Solutions UK, an industry leader in managed print technology service and solutions and a comprehensive IT and consultancy services provider. Uh, we should know because they've been a long-term Durham Lane customer. I thought I'll get that out early on. But Mark, really great to have you on the show. And thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, Richard. If you could put some more enthusiasm in your voice, so you do actually sound <laughs> delighted to be with me. Uh, I am uh, conversely delighted to be here. Always a pleasure to spend time with you and your team. Great. Thank you, Mark. Well, look, I'm going to try and hype up the excitement. So look, I'm, we did our pre-call a few weeks ago, and I think got pretty excited about today's episode. It's close to both of our hearts the top Topics that we're going to talk through. But before we get started, Mark, perhaps you could just introduce yourself to our listeners so they can get a, a feel for, for who you are. So rather scarily now, I've spent over two and a half decades in the tech industry. And when I say tech industry, it's not really the tech industry. I'll say that to sound vaguely cool. Um, <laughs> reality is I've done 25 years mainly in and around print. I've worked for four manufacturers, one reseller and one distributor in pretty much every single role you can think of. And I'm famous for being the most accident pro man in every single one of those companies, a dubious <laughs> honour, but one that uh, I, I cling to and I am proud of. Excellent. So I'm sure, I think we'll get into, uh, we'll get into, I shouldn't really be laughing at it, I think, but we'll, we'll get into some of that later on as we go, because uh, there are some incredible stories in there. Um, Mark, today we've we've agreed to, to touch on a subject that's really close to both of our hearts, I know, which is around sales as, as a profession to be proud of, something that I think has been, uh, as a career, both hugely influential to both of us in, in terms of you know, where we've spent our time in, in the world of work. Before we get to that idea around the professionalism of the world of selling, to first talk about mindset and, and resilience in, and the importance of that in career development. So just sort of thinking and perhaps going from your, your little teaser there about being accident prone, how has mental resilience shaped you in the world of work? Mental resilience is one of the um, the key bedrocks of, of who I am as an individual and absolutely what I look for in those people that I work with because you cannot control the situation. All you can control is your reaction to it and your perception of reality really determines it. Uh, Winston Churchill said, when you're going through hell, keep going. And he also talked about success isn't final, failure isn't fatal, it's the courage to continue that counts. I mean, far more eloquently put than anything I could say, but I truly believe that resilience is how you cope with adversity, how you get up and you keep going because the world isn't perfect and nice things don't happen to you every day. And even if we look outside of Winston Churchill and we look at the Royal Marines, they talk about performing at your best when things are at the worst. And, yes. and I think that's really, really appropriate. Today, we, we look at the last few years, Richard, and we've seen global supply chain interruption. We've seen COVID. We've seen problems in the Suez Canal, uh, even with the, the rebels attacking boats in the last few days. There will always be something out there to test us. That's not going to change. How we respond to it is the determining factor. Yeah, 100%. And I'd be interested to know where that resilience comes from in you, Mark. Is it something that you feel like you were born with? It's something that you've had to develop? Is it something that you've had to really fight strongly to achieve? 
How, how does that work for you? I think it's a great question. I can I can't tell you where it comes from. I can tell you where it didn't come from. I 100% wasn't born with it. I was born into uh, a loving family, but a family that really had a negative and pessimistic view of the world. And their view was if you expect the worst, you won't be disappointed. Right. And right. therefore, I was told, don't touch it, you'll break it. Don't try it, you'll fail at it. And for me, I think it was not until I was probably 26 that I had a sense of self-worth. But one of the things that I did pick up from my family was a tireless work ethic. And that is that you can control how hard you work. You can't control things around you, but you can get up and you can keep going. You can do it every day. And I think for me to continue to do that and then really actually invest in yourself. And I'm fortunate enough, I've worked with some great companies over the years that invested in me as well. And actually what I learned is nature and nurture, how you finish your life is not how you start your life you can affect it on the way and you can do that through people developing you but you can also invest in self-development and i think that's one of the things that i've been fortunate enough to to realize and understand that you can change your circumstances by changing yourself because the only given constant in any situation is you yeah i mentioned we'll come to sales profession later but one thing i i discovered really early on when I, and I always say it's the the happy trip up club when I when I tripped up into the world of of selling was that you have such ability to shape your own future, which, you know, I think exists everywhere, as you were saying, but I'm not sure it exists quite as much on steroids as it does when in a selling environment where you basically run your own P&L, you treat it as your own company, you, you know, you know what you need to do and you can persevere and push through to make it possible. I, I agree. And I, and I have this discussion at home quite a lot that my wife still doesn't see sales as a profession that you should aspire to, to be in. And I have a violent disagreement with that because it's been incredibly good to me. And if I, if, I, if I take today as an example, I'm going to the House of Parliament this afternoon and I've been there multiple times and it, and it doesn't hold any great excitement for me because I've done it, but I am privileged to do this. And when I think and reflect about where sales has taken me, not just uh, to, to the locations, but I've been all around the world with sales. I've been into the most secure establishments in the, in the UK, in, in aerospace and military. I've been in some of the world's largest companies. I've been in the world's tallest buildings. So I think sales can give you an incredible amount of experiences and life experiences that you wouldn't get in any other role. Yeah, absolutely. And, and many of our listeners, Mark, are at the beginning of their sales journey. So are there any examples you can share with them about how you've sort of overcome adversity through resilience and how you've become successful in certain areas that perhaps you never thought you might be? Yeah, absolutely. And I was only talking about this yesterday afternoon, Richard, with our CFO, who was sharing some things in confidence with me. And I was encouraging her to share them publicly and to share them with the company, because too many people see where you are now at the stage of your life. They don't see the yes. journey that you've taken to get there. And therefore, they often think you are born with the the knowledge and the skills that you have now. And what is often a surprise to, to many people, particularly the salespeople that I work with, is that I was incredibly shy as a child, massively insecure. I was often too nervous to even introduce myself. So I'd go on a training course and I started in operations and service delivery, not in sales, like you said, tripped into that. But they'd go around the room and say, who are you, where you come from? I couldn't even open my mouth to say my name. Right. And then the fear of being asked that question meant that I would have all the classic symptoms of anxiety. I'd start to sweat. I'd start to stammer. I could feel my heart rate elevated. And it was generally terrifying. And then over time, as I progressed, that was a constant throughout my sales career. 
But I had a couple of life-changing moments when I was on a few different courses and sales courses that I'm sure we'll touch on later. And they really talked about how you can reframe and change your things. And I, and I was introduced to a, uh, the concept of neuro-linguistic programming, a bit of a mouthful known as NLP. And NLP yeah. now has kind of evolved, really. And we talk about mindfulness and gratitudes and, and reframing. But effectively, it talked about living in your head and how often the fear of something is actually worse than the reality and therefore you could just simply reprogram it and change it and i distinctly remember sitting in a car outside uh, an independent reseller's building terrified to go in reading this book right and it gave me the tools and the techniques to use and i walked in and had to stand up in front of only probably 20 people in their sales force and i delivered on it and i didn't panic and i didn't bolt and i kept my heart rate under control and i felt utterly elated because i'd read some text in a book and i changed who i was and that for me was really a springboard for growth and then the second point is that growth's not linear you don't then deliver that at the start of your career and you have this nice upwards trajectory and arrow and you keep going all the way through to the top absolutely not it's more like a roller coaster Yes. At times you'll be on the way up and at times you'll be coming down with, with, with great velocity and that can be terrifying. But the key thing is to keep on moving forwards in progression. If you take no action, that's action in itself. It's a choice to do nothing. Yes. So keep moving forwards and then embrace the pain, embrace the challenge, because that's what makes you learn and develop. Being comfortable and sedentary isn't. Great story there. And um, I'm a big fan of NLP. I remember the moment I discovered it as well and uh, similar situations. But I think that idea that not taking action is is a decision in itself, I think sometimes gets lost. And I think the uh, people coming into the workplace today, it's so helpful when they realize that they have choice, they can make choices, they can take action and that it's lifelong learning is, is really the key to success. And like you say, it's the ups and the downs. I always uh, coach people that, you know, you can't have the ups without the downs because otherwise it would just be. So, you know, you've got to understand it, put it into context. One of our mantras is uh, 24 hours to celebrate or wallow in misery. And, and that was coming out of that really in terms of whether it's yes or no, crack on because the process will serve you in the end and will help you to be successful. It will do. But also, if you don't have the lows to juxtapose against the highs, it almost reframe, reframes the highs. And, and they become normal. So I had the the good fortune to to work for an incredibly affluent company, stay in the best hotels in the world, eat in some of the finest restaurants in the world. When you're doing it five to seven days a week, it gets tedious. Yeah. And if I'd said that to the younger version of me that grew up very <laughs> humble in a, in a council house on a council estate, I would have been mind blown. But once you've had steak 10 times in one week, you crave for a bowl of cereal or baked potato or something plain. And actually, when you've had that that life of opulence, it's really interesting then because it, it then makes you reframe it and say, well, actually, I'd rather have good company. And I'd rather go and spend some time with people and maybe not have any of those trappings of success because it really makes you focus on what your values are. However, I don't think I would have come to that conclusion unless I've been exposed to that. I think I would have still uh, continued, like most people do, to look out for those things. Whereas now, like the majority of people, are typically look for those things on special occasions or, 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 or customer events, but it's not something that I surround myself with on a daily basis now, because I, I think that if you have the highs too often, they just become, they become normal. And then where do you get you? Where do you get your next high from? Yeah, and we could delve into a whole load of pop psychology around that, couldn't we? So one one thing I always think from from my life is uh, 
And I don't think my wife listens to the insiders, just as a heads up. So Laura, my wife, is a professional social worker. She's now a trained family therapist. Um, the similarities between what she does and what we do in terms of questioning and making people feel comfortable and identifying challenges and helping them think through to come to conclusions lecture is, is so similar. But actually, when I think about some of what I've been rewarded with in, in the world of sales versus people in the world of social work and family therapy and the value, it just is such a grounding moment to have people doing such hugely valuable work without those trappings. And it just it's just always been a great grounder for me. And to build on what you've just said there about, about your wife, Richard, I tripped into sales. I was actually going in the police force on an advanced um, accelerated entry scheme. The process took so long that I needed to get a job. And I tripped into a telesales role, which I found incredibly challenging, incredibly hard. I would say arguably one of the most challenging roles I've had, but equally the most formative role I've ever had in sales, where I learned more than I ever thought was possible. And the interesting thing was being in that role for six months, I then started to earn more than I would have done with the role <laughs> that I aspired to get in the police. Within 12 months, I was earning more than I would have been doing for, for two years. After the first year, I would have been earning the same salary as someone who had been in the police force for five years. And then I'm pleased to say that trajectory did carry onwards and upwards. And my life's immeasurably changed now as a result of it. So hence why I'm saying sales is very good. I don't argue that it's fair and that uh, I'm sure for your wife and, uh, and others in similar circumstances, they absolutely deserve to get paid more. But one of the things that you can't argue with is sales will reward you well if you invest the time and the, the effort into it and you treat it as a profession rather than uh, rather than a vacation. Yeah, absolutely. And so let's move on to sales as a profession and, and one to be proud of because, well, obviously Durham Lane is a sales and marketing agency. So we've we've helped uh, hundreds of people come into the world of sales and been trained in our selling at higher level methodology. And, you know, I, I hope given many, many people a, a really great insight into the, the possibilities, whether they stay in sales or not, they've learned skills that will serve them forever. Many, though, don't see sales as a profession and absolutely not one to be proud of. Of. And, and that comes from, I think, some self-inflicted wounds in terms of how the industry presents itself. I think it comes from uh, poor practice, etc. But it's also out there and, and something that's very difficult to change. I was part of a cross-parliamentary group a few years back around selling and trying to get it to be on, on the list. You know, insanely, when you leave university, if you get a job in sales, it doesn't count as a graduate job. So there is no real incentive to signpost it as as a career. So that's a, a frustration. But do you have those sort of examples in, in your world of, of people sort of looking at going sales? Ugh. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think I've, I've realized why. And that is because there are zero barriers to entry in sales. Yeah. You can be any age, any sex, color, creed with any academic background. And you can, as you said, trip into sales and you can build your career in sales and your your velocity is pretty much up to you. And it is the most inclusive community I've ever worked in. But conversely, if I look at my senior medical friends and they're at the top of their profession, they prize academia. And in academia, there are defined levels and you level up. I mentioned the police force, there's levels, you level you level up and they're published. So absolutely, yes, you can do some private work, you can do some consultancy and you can uh, be tax efficient to, to boost your earnings, but it's a clear me methodology about how you move through the levels. In sales, that's not there. And I think because of that, it gets a bad rep. 
But the reality is sales at its top level can be incredibly important because as you've just talked about, if you look at what Barack Obama and some of the greatest leaders that have graced our, our planets do, what are they doing? They're understanding what people's goals, drivers, needs, requirements are. They're prioritizing them. They're also pr prioritizing their time. And then they're working out effective strategies to deliver on what they need and what the people they're talking to's need. That's that, that's sales. Sales is really the art of uh, understanding and, and uncovering opportunities. And typically you do that by finding problems. So finding solutions to, to fix problems. That is very, very similar to, I would say, what doctors and other people do, but clearly they have to have a greater degree of knowledge. And I think, Richard, this is going to change. As we look at AI, the preserve of knowledge is going to disappear very rapidly yes. because yeah. you can ask AI and AI will tell you what people have spent many, many years learning. And I think once people realize that knowledge is available 24-7 on tap instantaneously, the preserve of knowledge won't be as important. It will be then what skills do you have? Skills and experience, do you think? Yeah, I think I think experience typically enables you to uh, apply the skills quicker and w with a, a lower failure rate. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, AI is a, a huge topic, isn't it? Because you know, we look at the world of sales. I always say to people, it, it's changing, but you know, technology is clearly coming through, and there are some huge gains with technology. I think there are some huge hindrances with technology as well. If you look at CRM systems and you know the the sales prevention unit that people often talk about, um, but I think the I think there's the blend though, and, and we're starting to see this at, at Durham Lane with our investment in Sales Loft, which is a outreach platform and AI-enabled, helping our people work smarter, giving them time back for the personalization, which is which is the key piece. So it's that tech plus human endeavor. So I think my view personally is that the role of the sales professional will always be required because people need help to make the right choice, to feel like they're making the right choice, to be guided and to be uh, supported in, in making what are important business decisions. I, I think the the sort of the barrier to entry, though, in terms of where you start, what you do is probably going to change, like you say, with with AI becoming this knowledge on tap, then as long as you can harness it correctly, plus the endeavor that we talked about and the resilience and the the effort, then, you know, who knows where it can go. I had two dinner companions at an event recently, and it was the CEO of Computer Center, which is a multi-billion pound corporate reseller, one of the largest, if not the largest in the world. And then there was uh, uh, Sir Clive Woodward, who coached the England rugby team to success. And I was talking to them about what they'd seen and what changes they'd seen over the decades that they had been in the industry, so, because Sir Clive actually worked for a former employer of mine in this industry. And they said very little. Right because the human being is still a human being and the brain hasn't evolved at the pace of technology. Yeah. And there's only four things that you really measure a salesperson on, their activity. Now that can be the number of calls they make, the number of appointments, team, Zoom, face-to-face, -face, call it what you will. It's the skills that they have and how they can imply them. As you said, experience plays a big part there. Their knowledge and their attitude. And I think those four things haven't changed. What probably has changed is the focus and the emphasis that we put on them. Because you could take someone who's incredibly skilled, doesn't have the knowledge, and they could ask a series of open-ended questions, get the answers. They might not know what to do with those answers, but they could take them back. They could use generative AI. They could take it to a specialist in their business. But if they've got the skills to uncover the um, uh, and the questioning techniques, they can take that information away. I think the, the, the piece for me is the entry point into sales I'll come back to is your activity. 
you can control that. And someone used to say to me when I was in field sales, what are you doing in the office? I said, I'm doing my admin. I said, well, there's no one in this office going to buy anything from you. <laughs> yeah. So you, you need to be out there. Now, clearly that, that adage doesn't work now because of team and Zooms and, and how, we, uh, how we're working now. But absolutely, the amount of effort that you put in it is ultimately a numbers game at the beginning. And that helps you refine your skills. The fear of rejection, once you've been rejected a thousand times, diminishes. Yes. You then start to understand patterns. Technology can help you to do that. Uh, tools like SalesLoft can, can look at it. You can have sentiment analysis. But ultimately, I think having a human being there that understands the psyche of the person that you're trying to, to work with, the customer, that will enable you to progress far faster than, than you would do just uh, working by yourself or working looking at a YouTube video. So I think another, you know, again, tech enabled, getting up to speed onboarding is such a key part of our business. You know, we're typically employing people who are in their first, second jobs. That's changing as, as well, but that's often where people come to us. So how do we get them in a very short space of time to that conscious competence piece and part of you know a solution for us using the Allego platform is being able to practice in a safe environment over and over and over again you know and I talk about the first hundred calls you know it's like once you've done your first hundred calls you sort of feel okay about stuff it's sort of you know it becomes part of you and it doesn't sound like you're reading off or trying to remember something and and the really important thing about getting to that comfortable place is that you're not spending your time thinking about what you're saying you're spending your time listening to what the other person is saying and that's when you have a fundamental change and shift in in your practice in your craft i think so so technology can really help that upskill piece as well i think but what you've just said there that the four stages of learning and when you move into conscious competence you are effectively doing dot to dot you've learned the tools the techniques but you have to constantly refer to them the difference between that becoming a skill is practice and once you practice it you reaffirm it it becomes a behavior and I've worked with some incredibly talented people over the years, and I've thought that they are absolutely awesome at certain things, such as presenting on stage. And then you go on a training course and they distill it down into the core components and they codify it. And you think, oh, my goodness, I can absolutely learn how to do that. And at first, it's incredibly painful and clunky and you practice and practice and practice. And again, back to the, the opening part of this conversation about resilience. Too many people shy away from discomfort. And it's only in those areas of discomfort that you will grow because the emotional resonance it has from being uncomfortable makes you want to move away from that with speed. Yeah. And the sooner that you practice it and it becomes a skill and then a behavior, I think that is the piece that, that takes you away from it being uncomfortable. Absolutely. And if I look back at my career, where, where have I learned the fastest? It's when I've been under severe pressure probably an unhappy customer or or an expectant customer and uh, you're working harder than you've ever worked before trying to think through how do you resolve this situation or create a new solution or do something different and you come out stronger for it so not pleasant at the time I can remember a guy a guy in procurement way back when when I was sort of just on my way up and I still remember his name and I remember how I felt when I heard his name and I still have that feeling inside me but I definitely learned from that process <laughs> you know? yeah so, and uh, I can still, <laughs> one of my favorite stories uh, from telesales is this absolute ogre of a man that made my life a misery. And my sales manager was relentless and he would not let me give up. And it's one of the biggest accounts I could win in the industry. 
and I called this guy again and again and again. I tried every tactic. And after about 18 months, I got through and I got an appointment. And at the time I was hitting the gym a lot. I was a big guy, kind of 16, 17 stone. I was six foot two. And I turned up expecting this man mountain to walk out like Jack Reacher. <laughs> and uh, he was the Tom Cruise version. He was a tiny little quiet guy, incredibly shy. And in my mind, I built him up to be yeah. an axe-wielding uh, murderer. And he was just a nice, quiet, friendly guy that just because I hadn't delivered a value to him, yeah. had no uh, hesitation to put the phone down on me. So, again, living inside your head, not the best place to be. Practicing and reaffirming it gives you evidence. And then once you have a bank of evidence, your brain is tricked because it says, well, hold on. The last time I did that, I was successful. Yes. Therefore, I don't need to fear it anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And and just, you know, relive those successful moments and uh, and go again. You're leading this nicely for me. But we're going to go and talk a little bit now about professional persistence and, and sort of the art of selling. So, you know, one thing we talk about looking for in in people new to sales that come and join Durham Lane is effort, attitude and aptitude. And you've talked about activity, skills, knowledge, attitude, you know, sim similar things there. You've just mentioned really about persistence. And, and I, I think professional persistence is such an important piece and something I, I believe is has always come naturally to me, but I don't think it comes naturally to lots of people. It's it's um, people think rightly or wrongly. Again, it's in your head. But why would they want to take my call? I called them last week. Why would I call them again? And our first mantra is business fit, business value, developing long-term relationships. And I've always said, if you've if you've got a reason as to why you're calling and you believe you can add more value to their business than they're going to spend with you, why wouldn't they want to speak to you? You know, so that was that was just sort of a, again a bit of a mindset shift for for me and one that we train at, at Durham Lane. So, how have you seen that professional persistence? And I appreciate it links back into resilience as well, in some ways. Well, firstly, I, I, I agree with you. And, and I think I'll, I'll give you two actionable insights here, Richard, uh, a bog off, uh, buy one, get one free, so to speak. Yeah. My, my grandfather uh, often said to me, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And he was right. Now, he spent a lifetime in the military all the way around the world in some of the most hostile environments. And uh, his life story was fascinating. Now, you don't need to spend that time in the military to understand that. What you just talked about there is that that challenge and adversity they are our best teachers you have to be brave you have to seek it out and if it scares you you're on the right track yeah if it's comfortable and it's easy and you're not teaching someone because teaching helps us to, to master it if it if it's a, a new skill for you and it's comfortable and easy it's probably not developing you and what i learned from my first ever sales force and this is one of the most powerful sentences i've ever been taught if it's to be it's up to me take responsibility for your actions don't blame others and when someone doesn't make the decision that you want them to don't blame them think what could i have done differently and i've been that person that blamed others i've been on a presentation skills workshop where i've said it was a load of rubbish and it was it was it was nonsensical and theoretical and i've walked out why did i do that why did i act like a petulant sport brat i did it because i was scared yeah. i did it because i was petrified of standing up and yet the whole purpose of me being there was to improve the skill that i that I, I was fighting against. And what I still do to this day, and it doesn't matter irrespective of level, some of the people that I work with and coach and mentor are directors, is what could you have done differently? Yeah. If you, I call it holding the mirror up. Yeah. If you look in the mirror and say, you didn't get the answer that you want, what could you have done differently? So for a salesperson, that person didn't take my call. What time of day did you call them? Could they have been busy? Had you, had you planned time in advance? 
did you have a strong reason for the call? Did you have a gain-led statement? Was it was there some benefit in there for them? And if you just distill it down and break it into each separate component, I think then you have the chance of success. But saying I failed is a finite. Yes. And back to what I mentioned about Winston Churchill, keep going, keep going until you deliver it. And then once you've found that format, you can repeat it. But look, at we like uh, talking and I like talking about a Japanese principle uh, called Kaizen of continuous improvement. Once you've got it, how can you make it better? And you used the football analogy at the start of the call. People like Roy Keane are famous. They win a, a trophy. They win the Premier League. They don't go out and celebrate. Why? Because they've got the FA Cup. They win the FA Cup. They don't go and celebrate. Why? Because they've got the European Cup. And that can be unhealthy if you're continually uh, having delayed gratification and you never celebrate your successes. But it's good to actually say, OK, I've done something well. I have, I think you said, 24 hours of celebration. And then you set yourself another level, another level and another level. And you get the the marginal gains that, that take you forward. And then there's no uh, accident. The the person that coined that term, Sir Dave Brailsford, is now in Manchester United. Yeah. And he's looking at the one percenters that give you those marginal gains to help restore that club to its former glory. To be honest, he's probably looking for more than one percenters. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's. <laughs> I think uh, he's got his uh, got his work cut out. But no, I, I think. I mean, I think Dave Brailsford. I mean, I think that was such a clever move from um, Jim Ratcliffe. Bringing someone like Dave Brailsford in shows the intent behind getting this team back to and this club back to where it should be. Hundred percent. So, some great actionable insight there. I, I love the idea, and there are so many metaphors for not giving up, light at the end of the tunnel. You know, all all of that sort of thing, and it's why are they there. Well, because they're truisms as well. In the fact that you know, if you keep going, one step at a time. What's the next thing? What can I do? What happens next? And and I love I love the way you brought continual improvement into your craft because you keep going. You get something right, you do it again, but you're not satisfied with that. It's about what could I do differently and how could I make this more effective? So that's really uh, excellent learnings for our for our listeners. I'm, I'm going to lead us to the um, Ask the Expert moment, Mark. So we go out to uh, our communities prior to uh, any any podcast that we record here on The Insiders. And we've got a question from Lucy, uh, which I'll just read out to you and be great to get your thoughts. But Lucy asks, looking back to when you were growing up, do you see any parallels between your role in sales now compared to back then? Hmm. Great question, Lucy. Do I see parallels? Uh, yes, I did. Um, I had, uh, as I said, a very humble upbringing. And if I wanted anything, then typically I had to find a way to get it myself unless it was uh, unless it was Christmas. Yeah. Uh, and that really instilled a strong work ethic in me, culminating in actually working three jobs per day at one stage whilst I, I was in the, the school holidays. And that enabled me to achieve what I wanted financially, i.e. a car, motorbike, paper, uni uh, without debt. But actually, if I if I look at sales, then you can work hard. You don't have to be good at what you do. But if you become a student of it and you look at it, just as we've talked about um, there, if you understand not just linear progression, how can I think about the problem? And I'll give you a sporting uh, analogy to, to, to help illustrate this point. I'm an aspiring triathlete, swim, bike, run. I'm not great at running. I went to see a former uh, Commonwealth Games uh, champion, one of the best young runners of the world before she got injured. She gave me a lot of advice on running. None of it is running. Right. 
So a run coach who's a run specialist gave me very expensive, privileged running advice. None of it was running to make me better at running. Right. That's my point about being a student of the art and looking around it. It doesn't just mean, okay, well, I want to sell. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to continually try and sell things more. However, your, um, your work ethic is, is really, really important. And you have to understand that things will go wrong and don't over rotate on it. It serves no, po- uh, serves no purpose. You have to pick yourself up and go again. That's true in life as well as sales and understand everything happens for a reason even if you don't know what that reason is. Yes. So if you fail, what is the lesson from failure? And I, I'm not an idiot, or hopefully not an idiot. My wife would say I am. But actually, if you look at it, the it's horrible to fail. Nobody wants to fail. I still dislike it. But then when you reflect on it, what has it taught me? And and, and I think actually that the, the last thing I'd say in response to, to Lucy's question is, one thing I did learn with my upbringing, one of the things that it taught me is your attitude costs nothing and yet delivers everything. And the New Zealand All Blacks, they have the highest win rate of any professional sporting team in the world. They have two things in their mantra and their culture. One of them is sweep the sheds. It talks about yes. being humble, treating others as you want to be treated. Don't be afraid to do things yourself. And they have a no dickheads rule, which basically says, enjoy your time in the sun, but don't get burnt. Yes. And I think actually for me, that's the same in life as it is in in sales and that is what i learned from from my upbringing awesome well uh, what a great great way to uh great way to close out the episode there mark thank you so much i've really enjoyed this this is sort of my pet topic right so i i love mindset motivation sales as a, as a profession to be proud of and i'm hoping that we've we've got some people inspired who are listening into the insiders today and then about professional persistence because actually you don't need to be the best but you can become the best right no one starts Ooh, off as like no that. one's just made that up no one starts off as being <laughs> no one, no one starts off as being the best at anything you know you've got people with different levels of talent but it's the practice and the effort that goes into it that helps you to become the best so loads of great insight you've 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 peppered the episode with actionable insight and it's uh been a real pleasure mark so uh thank you thank you so much we we have one last uh task before we finish the episode and that is uh to help us build out our insiders spotify playlist so we ask every guest to just pick a song doesn't have to be work related it might just make you feel good could be whatever if there's a story then great but have you had the chance to think about a a track you'd like us to add to the what is becoming a very eclectic playlist yeah this this for me was the biggest responsibility of the whole podcast i'm I'm, I'm, I'm mad keen on music and (laughs) trying to find something that will please everyone isn't going to happen so i've been selfish the 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 tune that i'd add to the playlist is kid Cuddy pursuit of happiness the steve aoki remix very important that you get the remix version Uh, if you've got any young children turn down the bit with 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 swearing but again the 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 very very apt from what we've been talking about today richard and i think it sums it up nicely brilliant Okay, well, look, we'll get that added, Mark, and that's going to add to the eclectic nature of that playlist for sure. So, look, once again, on behalf of uh, myself and our listeners, thanks so much for joining me on The Insiders. And thanks very much for the invite. And also a big shout out to the team at Durham Lane. You continue to impress. You continue to make a difference. So hats off to you all. Oh, that's brilliant. They're going to have to listen to this episode now, Mark. Uh, And to you, um, thanks, as always, for tuning into The Insiders. Please subscribe on your preferred podcasting site to ensure you're notified of all new episodes as and when they're published. And if you'd like to learn more about Durham Lane and our unique method of selling at a higher level, the team that Mark has just shouted out as well, then please visit durhamlane.com for more information. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you in the next episode. The Insiders by Durham Lane. 
Subscribe today to never miss an episode.